Basically, um, as I was coming to, uh, to Oxford on the train, I was reading a book uh, by South Hall Black Sisters, um, which is uh, which is called, called My Memory is Not As Good As It Should Be, so luckily it's in my bag. Um, it's called From Homemakers to Jailbreakers, and there is an article there, there's a chapter there about immigration law. and. Poonam Joshi talks about how immigration law is inherently racist um, in nature because, and she quotes Jack Straw in 2001, who talks about how um, immigration law has to discriminate on the basis of nationality. And she argues that from there, from nationality, it, it's a short term to discriminating on the basis of race. Uh, because immigration officers often can't tell the difference between um, a stamp on the passport and the way that people look. Um, and she talks about how different categories of foreigners are treated differently on the basis of um, race and nation. And that kind of encapsulates um, the debate on immigration and marriage law, uh, specifically in the context of forced marriage. So who who are the communities or who are the nationalities and races who are seen as being particularly vulnerable to forced marriage and how is that going to be managed? Um, and what implications does engagements between forced marriage and immigration law and policy have for issues around gender justice and ethnicity, both at a national and international level, because immigration all, often ha always has repercussions beyond um, national borders. And of course, coming back to ideas about particular um, communities and how they're re represented in these different discourses. So basically, um, the key issues within immigration policy and marriage are with regard to specific communities or, or um, what I'm interested in today are categories of sham marriages. Um, these obviously, as we all know, they're constructed as marriages of convenience, contracted for economic reasons, um, the sort of ghost of the primary purpose role of Thatcher lives on in terms of the rhetoric around sham marriages. So they are seen as being completely unacceptable. Um, arranged marriages with kind of talking about very strong family ties, or that's how it's represented. Um, love is theoretically not a prerequisite. It is assumed within liberal discourses of how arranged marriage is understood as uh -huh. something that will grow in a measured way. And it's kind of reluctantly um, accepted by the UK state, less so in some other Nordic countries. But in the UK, there's a kind of reluctant acceptance of uh, arranged marriages. And then, of course, forced marriage, which is where a number of um, policy changes have been, uh, and legal changes have been introduced quite recently. Um, specifically around immigration, but also more broadly. And that's defined as um, 
where one or both parties are coerced into a marriage against their will and under duress, which includes either physical or emotional pressure. Clear distinction is made here between arranged marriages, where both parties give their free and full, full and free consent to the marriage. And then they go on to say the tradition of arranged marriages has operated very successfully with, within many communities and many countries for a long time. So sham marriages are obviously unacceptable, forced marriages are unacceptable, arranged marriages are acceptable, but um, it's kind of unclear in some of the rhetoric about what the difference is between forced and arranged marriage. Um, forced marriage, in theory, is, is seen, is positioned as being very different from both arranged and forced marriage. So within a forced marriage, um, there can be no consent and no love. Whereas within an arranged marriage, there is possibly no love, but there is consent and there is the possibility of love. However, um, the research that we've done and the research which has been done between by many other academics around the country actually shows that there is there can be a slippage between arranged and forced marriage and between love and arranged marriages. These categories are, are quite porous. They're never as tight as um, some of these definitions uh, may, uh, you know, uh, may seem to um, kind of imply. So for instance, one partner might experience their marriage as being arranged and the other is being forced. And then it's a question, and it's, so it's a question of perceptions or parents might perceive the marriage or construct the marriage as being arranged and the, uh, and the children as, as it being forced. Um, or at the time of marriage, um, both partners might believe that the marriage is arranged, but then at a later stage decide that actually they were forced into it because they kind of look at it in the context of what's um, um, of their experiences at the time. I also do research in domestic violence and I find that sometimes people, people's perceptions of life events can actually change. So say for instance, Living, live, women living in domestic violence situations often don't recognize their experiences of as being domestic abuse or domestic violence until they have left the relationship or unless until they're in a position to be safe enough to accept that it was a form of abuse. And I think that you can find that with forced marriage as well um, at times. But how is forced marriage conceptualized? Um, so there's, um, there is a bit of a problem in how it's conceptualized in terms of category. Um, research done in 2011 has suggested that rhetoric around forced marriage and immigration looks at forced marriage um, as um, um, in terms of Bangladeshi primarily, British Pakistani or Bangladeshi young women being forced into marriage abroad with um, people of uh, people from uh, young men from their country of origin being taken there and um, forced to live in that in that context um, and imposed brides uh, imposed grooms as being their so sort of imposed 
grooms from another country coming to this country for the purposes of immigration. So the idea is of sort of young, um, vulnerable women, Brit uh, British Asian women being forced into marriage with uh, men from another context. And that is often can be the context within which a lot of the rhetoric around forced marriage um, is constructed. A solution to the problem is seen as immigration. Now, in the wider context, of course, forced marriage can take place within the UK. This doesn't take into account. Immigration cannot sort, cannot, um, sort out the problem of um, forced marriage between two British nationals or between a British national and an EU national, for instance. Um, but it can seek to control that in the context of where one party is uh, in, based in another country, a non-EU country. So the forced marriage unit is primarily about, and the forced marriage policies in the context of immigration, um, I argue are primarily around transnational marriages um, and pri seen primarily as happening within South Asian communities because that is the, seen as the context within, most, within which most of these marriages take place. Um, so a statement by David Cameron in 2011, um, I shan't read it out, but he looks at the problem of forced marriage as a form of slavery, um, which I agree he, with him. Um, but he also says that it is, we sh it is a problem we should not shy away from addressing because of cultural concerns. So he looks at it as a form of slavery or abuse, if you like, though he doesn't construct it in terms of violence against women or gender-based violence, but he looks at it in terms of slavery, which has obviously a very strong emotive um, sort of um, tinge to it in terms of sort of looking at it in terms of particular communities, but also looking at it in terms of culture. So he's arguing that there is something cultural about it which, which we should ignore. And it's a question of what culture means in that context. And maybe we could come back to that in the, in the end. So what is the legal position on forced marriage in this country at the moment? There is a civil protection law on uh, on forced marriage, which was introduced a few years ago. Um, it's um, the very clear impact of the Violence Against Women movement and is based loosely on the Domestic Violence Act. Um, so there are injunctions where there are threats of uh, forced marriage, forced marriage protection order. Um, so if, um, if a young person is in fear, or an older person as well, is in fear of forced marriage, uh, they can, they or somebody else on their behalf, a third party, um, women's organization interested friend, um, can apply for a forced marriage pr uh, protection order, uh, which means that the young person can be then, or the, they can be taken away from their parents and or their family that might be threatening them um, and uh, placed separately. So it is a sort of similar to, a do to domestic violence injunctions which prevent offenders from coming near um, the, the person who is, um, who, who they're terrorizing. Um, it's 
the, it calls for it can call for emergency and I immediate interventions uh, because of fears of um, you know the sort of lengthy process of law and the fears of sort of young people being taken abroad very quickly. Um, the civil protection law also provides for compensation for damages, which is. Uh, uh, and this is based on ideas of loss of um, opportunities, especially where a forced marriage might, might happen to somebody young and vulnerable. So loss of um, loss of earnings, loss of educational opportunities. Um, forced marriage unit suggests that 60% of the cases take place um, on young people between the ages of 16 and 25. Um, a proportion of these are possibly taken to the to their country of origin and left there, um, and during that period are unable to complete their education. Um, so a sort of compensation for any damages that they may have suffered as a result of forced marriage or the threat of forced marriage. Um, there has been guidance on forced marriage for um, at least about 13 years or something, but that has only just been put on a statutory footing. Um, in the past, it was entirely up to uh, public bodies such as um, education and health to take it up or not. So as I said, it's a clear, there's a clear impact of the violence against women movement, and it's also based loosely on the domestic violence act. Um, but that's the civil protection law. Um, recently, of course, uh, less than a year ago, uh, forced marriage was criminalized under the Anti-Social Behavior, Crime and Policing Bill. Um, and this bill actually made both forced marriage and the breach of a forced marriage protection order into a criminal offense. The breach of a forced marriage protection order was actually already a criminal offense, but this has kind of underlying that provision. So one of the, um, if you like, one of the criticisms of the civil protection order was that it was introducing criminalization of forced marriage by the back door. Because if, while it was a civil provision, if the forced marriage protection order was breached, then it became a criminal offense. Um, and this bill actually clarifies the position on uh, forced marriage. A uh, forced marriage is still an offense, it's still a criminal offense even if it takes place abroad, outside uh, UK borders. In the context of a situation where there is debate on whether or not to make domestic violence a criminal offense or not, it's quite interesting that forced marriage has been criminalized um, much before that. Um, so the question that I'm interested in is whether forced marriage is being, whether immigration policy is being used to deal with forced marriage and what is the effect of that? Is that a good thing? All of us here possibly or at least may believe that forced marriage is a human rights and women's rights violation and where human rights violation when it happens to men, though the majority of cases have taken are perpetrated on on uh, women, um, but is forced marriage uh, being used as a way of dealing with immigration? But that's the other issue. Is a human rights issue?
being used as a way of controlling immigration, which is kind of the fear that um, some activists um, and have been raising, and some of the, uh, you know some members of the community that we spoke to as part of the research that I'll be talking about shortly have been raising. And this is in the context of debates in. Um, you know, uh, a few years ago in terms of raising the minimum age for a sponsor and leave to enter the UK as a spouse or a, uh, as, a, uh, as a spouse or a fiancé. So the in basically um, in 2008, um, the age of entry and sponsorship was raised to 21. It was raised from 16 to 18 in 2003 and to 21 in 2008. Um, this was withdrawn in 2011, but I'll talk about that later. Um, as we all know, I'm sure proposals are constantly uh, being implemented and there are policies to make entry, getting indefinitely to remain and naturalization more difficult. This possibly doesn't really have to do with forced marriage, but there is a kind of implicit belief somewhere that forced marriage, early marriages and sham marriages are related to immigration and I think that that's the kind of grey area within which a lot of the forced marriage policy discussions can take place. And I think I may have a slide twice. Um, so um, I've already kind of mentioned um, this policy. Um, the reason why the Labour government wanted to raise the age to 21 or indeed to 24 in 2008, which was the in initial proposal, um, the rationale was that they wanted to harmonise it with some other European countries where the marriage age had been raised to 21 or 24, um, or not the marriage age, the sponsorship age, I should say, because the marriage could take place at an earlier age, you just couldn't, uh, part, the partners just couldn't live together on British soil as a married couple before they reached the age um, of 21 or 24. Um, the rationale for increasing the age was that this was an intervention to prevent forced marriage. It was not presented as a way of controlling immigration, but it was uh, seen as a way of preventing forced marriage. Um, I was part of a team that was commissioned by the Home Office to provide research evidence on um, raising the risk factors and the effect of raising the minimum age of a sponsor and of leave to enter the UK as a spouse or a fiancé. And this is the research team which was led by Marianne Hester and other members of the team. Um, Khatija Chancellor from um, the University of Manchester but currently in Uclan um, and um, uh, Anne Singleton also at the University of of this so the key research questions that we were asked to look at was what would be the impact of the age increase if such an age increase was implemented, this was in 2006, 
um, if such an age increase was implemented, what would the impact be? What were the risks? What would be the risks and benefits of increasing it further to uh, from 16 to 21 or 24? They also wanted us to look at other factors likely to increase or reduce the risk of forced marriage. We were asked to do, initially asked to do this uh, research study among South Asian communities in um, London and Birmingham. We argued that the problem of forced marriage was possibly much more complicated than confined to particular communities and we wanted to look at other communities and so we asked them to add the fourth research question which was communities in which forced marriage occurs. Um, so the general problem that we had was that forced marriage is very difficult to define. The Home Office definition, we've already looked at it. However, forced marriage is very difficult to measure. So for instance, an interview that we did with an immigration officer based at the border agency, it was called something else at the time, it was called BIA at the time. Um, and what she said to us was that Basically, the problem with collecting statistics on forced marriage, because we asked her how statistics were collected on forced marriage, and she said that the problem that of collecting statistics was it actually depended on who was collecting the statistics. So, for instance, she said that certain immigration officers might see any ma marriage which doesn't conform to sort of Western models of free choice as being forced whereas certain other immigration officers might err on the other side and actually see um, marriages which may well be forced as being arranged because of sort of particular perceptions. And the problem was that even though the definition seems to be quite clear, but uh, the way in which the problem was actually understood meant that it was actually very difficult to measure. Um, the fact is that even today, whatever information that we have about the problem of forced marriage is mostly about South Asian communities that has to do with demographies. We argue that it has to be do with demo uh, demographies, but it also has to do with the success of South Asian violence against women uh, movements in the UK, which have actually raised the profile of this issue and made it possible for them for a number of South Asian women to come forward and talk about the issue of forced marriage. So that was what we were asked to do and this is how we did it. We were initially asked to collect statistics on forced marriage. We were asked to look at existing statistics and come up with how prevalent forced marriage was within the population. Um, we argued that it was impossible to do it because there wasn't a clear understanding of how forced marriage was being entered into different databases. That might well have changed between 2007 and now, but at the time there were so many different perceptions that it made it very difficult to measure. Um, so we, did, we had familiarization visits with a number of stakeholders. We looked at available data sets, so we looked at the metropolitan uh, Police. We looked at force the force marriage unit, and uh, we also looked at other women's organisations such as Incan. We did a case study design in three English cities. We did stakeholder interviews, 
um, we did um, survivor interviews uh, of uh, most of whom were women and we did a mapping survey of community organizations asking them whether different communities asking them whether forced marriage was an issue within their uh, organize within their community and we also did focus groups um, with um, a number of communities so what were the general findings we had uh, we found that there was little or no impact uh, in terms of reducing the risk of forced marriage um, from 16 to 18. So in other words, when the age was increased from 16 to 18, the age of sponsorship was increased from 16 to 18, there was possibly very little or no impact in terms of reducing the risk of forced marriage. There was very little support for raising the age of sponsorship or entry to 21 or 24. The, an exception to this was a focus group that, group that we did with young Bangladeshi women between the ages of 14 and 21, where there was very strong support for increasing the age to 24. But most other groups didn't want it increased at all. And in fact, a number of groups argued that any such increase would be unfair and discriminatory and racist. Um, the benefits, um, some argued that there might be some benefits, it might lead to greater maturity, but then it was also argued that perhaps the, adva the, the, the advantage of greater maturity at the time of marriage or uh, should be applied to all um, British citizens, not necessarily a sort of small percentage of that and maybe the marriage age would in general be raised to 21 um, rather than having two different ages in which people could potentially get married or live together if you like. Uh, but they also did argue that it could possibly give some people access to education and potential financial independence. However, there were a number of risks which were being uh, which were um, raised or um, uh, and it was suggested that actually that increasing the age of marriage would direct would actually increase risks uh, to victims because what it could do potentially was that it it could lead to young people being taken abroad at the time of marriage and being left there for a longer period um, in another country which they didn't belong, potentially didn't know the language, and would uh, you know uh, would not have access to education, um, and they would be left there till they were in a position to sponsor their partners back to the UK. So in fact, it rather than reducing the risk of forced marriage, it would increase the risk to the victims of forced marriage. But they also argue that it was actually discriminatory because. It, it made no distinction between arranged and forced marriages. It made no distinction between consensual marriages um, and forced marriages. It was a law that was applicable, or, a, or a, it was a policy chain that was applicable to everyone. So basically, it just made absolutely no, uh, it, 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 in that sense, it was kind of, it had human rights implication. And of course, it didn't prevent homegrown forced marriage. It did not prevent homegrown forced marriage. 
uh, between the ages of 16 and whatever age because uh, they wouldn't come within the immigration uh, sort of within these uh, confines or indeed marriages within the EU. Um, and of course that is particularly relevant in terms of communities which are settled here for a longer period because uh, they are more likely to arrange marriages with members of their community but within the same country if you like and, and if, if there is an element of force there that would be um, that wouldn't necessarily be um, seen as you know wouldn't come within the ambit of this law so what we also found that actually rather than age it was of we it was better to look at different routes into forced marriage because age was an issue but actually the average age of marriage even within South Asian communities was actually increasing so it may be that older uh, people who are being forced into marriage at 24 or 25 or 30 wouldn't necessarily be captured within that. So there were several routes within forced marriage um, and um, I don't necessarily have the time to go into each one of them at the moment but the primary possibly one of the most important routes into forced marriage was not around age but it was actually around control over sexuality and gender inequalities by which I mean that actually forced marriage was used as a way of control of controlling the sexuality of specifically young women but sometimes young men as well who were seen as being non-conformist who were entering into relationships with uh, people who were uh, possibly be, be seen as inappropriate they, or um, they were um, they, they wanted to pursue higher education and possibly not join uh, the family business um, or um, sometimes in the context of young men uh, we also noticed that uh, or we also saw that there were in, it could take place around issues around sexuality um, but it also took place in the context of sort of concerns around mental health um, and um, it was a, in a sense we also found that immigration played a role in a forced marriage what was also interesting was that another interview with another member of the border agency was that she was actually quite critical of um, the proposed increase of age. What she said was that any 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 form of immigration control that made that made it more difficult for people to enter into this country legally would increase the risk of forced marriage. So the more controls you had on people to come in through financial routes, for instance, so financial immigration, if the more you restricted that, the more likely young people were to be forced into marriage because that marriage then becomes the one route through which entry is still possible um, even while there might be controls on it if you like. Um, the problem again in terms of immigration was that forced marriage works at the point of entry but it also works at the point of whether people can exit the marriage and where young people are forced to marry to say provide immigration status to um, to their spouse 
they are then not allowed to exit the marriage till that um, status is provided or they, they help to provide that, that if you like. And that makes it very hard for, your, for, for them to escape uh, forced marriage. So to summarize, there was very little support for increase in age or sponsorship or entry. We also found that actually routes into forced marriage were very complicated. Um, they were, it was very complex. There was slippage from between forced and arranged marriage. Um, children were getting married, but there were also issues around sexuality. There were also issues around international poverty and bride price. One of our proposals to the Home Office that was that um, they should possibly work harder with um, DFID to work on international uh, um, poverty and reducing uh, aid, they didn't actually, they, they didn't, I didn't kind of understand that very, very well, I think, but that was, uh, one of our proposals was that it was actually quite linked to poverty, uh, the problem of forced marriage. Um, we also found that forced marriage happens across a range of religious and cultural contexts and um, we found that it happened across a range of different religious communities, different um, ethnic communities, um, and um, overemphasizing particular communities, in this case South Asian communities, means that the problem of forced marriage is actually overlooked in other communities. So what was the response to our findings? Um, they didn't like our findings. Um, because in a sense it didn't support the government policy approach. They suggested that our methods and samples were problematic because they were not representative. This was, um, this was a methodology which had been agreed with the research department at the beginning, but then they at the end felt that it was not representative. They, they wanted us to do a survey. We argued that doing a survey in just particular communities would A, be problematic for a number of complicated methodological problems, but may not necessarily tell us enough about it because the problem of forced marriage wasn't necessarily applicable only to the communities they wanted to, us to look at. Um, and also because the impact of this policy was much wider than those particular communities that they wanted us to look at. So the, so they, the government then carried out their own research via a consultation, an online consultation. Um, 15 of the 29 respondents supported the change to 21. Uh, the government raised the age to 21 from November 2008. So why is immigration law problematic? Um, this was raised in the Supreme Court um, judgment. Um, the Supreme Court in 2011 in, um, um, in, in this case actually considered the law lawfulness of the Home Secretary's policy. And um, they suggested that it is not clear if the age increase applies to false or false marriage or whether it's done to reduce applications for settlement. This is from the judgment. Um, okay. So basically the claimant at the time was a Chilean national, a man who had married a British citizen 
um, who was only 17 at the time of marriage. By the time she turned 18, the new policy had taken place. Um, the result was that the claimant, the Chilean national, and his wife had to leave the UK for a period of time because he could not lawfully remain in this country. They moved to the Republic of Ireland. On appeal, he succeeded because the Court of Appeal found that the policy breached his rights to family life under Article 8 of the uh, European Council of Human Rights. The Home Secretary appealed to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court considered whether the effects of the policy um, actually had interfered with, his with their rights to private and family life and they found that it did based on um, interventions by South Pole Black Sisters who also argued that the policy did not have appear to have the effect of preventing forced marriage and it had a detriment, discriminatory impact on, majority, on minority communities. So basically, um, they said that the Secretary of State had failed to demonstrate that they, were, they had robust evidence of any deter, deterrent effect of the amendment on forced marriage um, and also failed to establish that the interference with the rights of the respondents within Article 8 is justified. So as a result, the age of entry and, uh, and sponsorship was reduced back to 18 years um, in, on 28th November 2012. While this has been a sort of victory of sorts, but in the U, uh, the point, the problem with uh, this is that um, there is little interest in protecting, or there appears to be little interest in protecting non-EU women who may be subjected to forced marriage within UK uh, jurisdiction. Um, and in a sense, the central issues is that there is a lack of clarity between forced and forced marriages, which the Supreme Court judgment raised. There is a lack of cl clarity about what arranged marriages may mean. Um, they present cultural, or policy presents cultural, uh, marriages within particular communities as cultural practices. Um, the, again, it's the use of immigration policy in this instance, age increase to combat forced marriage, doesn't discriminate between consensual and forced marriage and in the context of Norway, the term legislative love has been used. However, there are other immigration measures which have been used so for instance, integration measures, um, and in a sense, these are not necessarily again applicable to forced marriages, uh, but they do tend to create a hierarchy of acceptable and unacceptable marriage practices. So South Asian women's organizations, feminist organizations on the whole are very critical of immigration policies to combat forced marriages. The problem, of course, is that there have been no other option, that other options of increased support to um, the sector have not been forthcoming. So in a sense that the sector of, of, uh, that looks at, that tries to offer solutions in terms of forced marriage um, 
forced marriage to forced marriage victims or support to forced marriage victims. Um, the support for such organizations and such sectors are actually under threat in the context of, um, you know, sort of women possibly trapped within those marriages having very few areas to go to, especially in the context of sort of increasing the probation age, uh, the probation uh, period to two years, the marriage probation period to two years. Um, and finally, in a sense, immigration uh, policies uh, tend to police boundaries of marriage in a sense and civil partnership and they don't, the problem with using immigration to control forced marriage is that it cannot by definition make a distinction between consensual and forced marriage and therefore in a sense I guess conceptually one has to presume that uh, perhaps one of the rationale for these policies is not necessarily the prevention of forced marriage but is possibly something else which is a way of sort of preventing certain kinds of immigration into this country.